Good morning. Our scripture today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Now, I don't know about you, but that was a good text of Scripture. And, you know, as I thought about preaching this morning, and frankly couldn't have gotten a more delightful text to preach on, for which I've been excited and scared that I'm not going to do justice to the text, and praying that the Spirit of God will use me to open up what is... I almost think inarguably the greatest text in all the Bible. I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller last week, and he got up to preach this text, and he said, this is the best, best text in all the Bible. He said, of course, I've said that before when I preach text, because pastors, you know, when you're preaching, you tend to maybe exaggerate. He said, but this one really is. And it's a text that talks about Jesus Christ the Lord. And, and there's not enough superlatives, that, those are big words that kind of amplify, to describe Jesus fully. And Paul does it in a concise manner that makes me think, maybe we just read the text five times and go home, because Paul states it incredibly well. But you know how it is when somebody's up here preaching, you can't do that. The fact is, the treasure of the church has always been and will always be not our building's not our stuff. It's going to be our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our treasure. And that's what this text goes after in an incredibly delightful way. And, and I'll be honest with you that I'm, I feel a sense of emotion coming at this text, and I'm sure that's just going to mount as I do it the third time in the third service, and I hope that you can at least get a little taste of what this text is talking about and that God will minister in your heart where you are with the reality of the treasure of Jesus. You know, the church wrestled with these kind of texts early on. And, and the question was, who is this Jesus? And you would think, all right, they should know that. That should be really easy. And yet they wrestled with it for, for actually a couple of hundred years before they, they, the church as a whole, the church universal, st stood on a certain position. And one of the early church fathers, he's a hero of the faith, and a matter of fact, I, I read a blog last week, and, and he was, this, this guy was, was listing the five top theologians ever in the church, kind of like the five top NBA players that he's kind of playing off that. And Athanasius was his first one. And, and we've got a picture of Athanasius here. I, I mean, trendy guy, right? He's got like, you know, just the way you want to look. And there's something about him. He feels like he ought to be a church father. He almost feels like he doesn't seem real. And there really was a guy. He was named Athanasius. He lived in North Africa. He was an African theologian. And a lot of early Christian theology was, a, a, a hotbed for Christian theology was North Africa in the early church. He was a guy that was a bishop in Alexandria in Egypt. He was, 
deported or exiled, or he was kicked out of being a bishop by some of the Caesars of Rome five times. So, you know, Mr. Popularity. Like, and, and, and here's the thing I think. So if I'd been kicked out of being a bishop twice, I would really wonder, so why, why do I want to do this third time? Not, not sure about that. He was a perseverer. He was a guy who believed that Jesus was truly God. That's what he believed. And he argued it. And you would think, why would you need to argue that? Because there was one of his opponents, the one that's most notorious, was a guy named Arius. There was Athanasius and Arius. And Arius espoused the view that, you know, really, Jesus was pretty important, pretty good, pretty a lot of things, but not fully God. And so they went at it. And finally, Constantine in 325 AD, he called a council. The council, it was the first of such council, and it was in Nicaea. And some of you have heard of the Council of Nicaea. And he, he invited eight, in the vicinity of 1,800 church leaders. 300 showed up. Ah, the invitation must not have worked too well. And they got together and they haggled over and wrestled with the reality of who Jesus is. Athanasius was not one of them, but his influence was very strongly felt. The result of that council in 325 was a statement that's known as the Nicene Creed, and the church has stood on the shoulders of men like Athanasius, affirming the reality that Jesus Christ is God. Now, we're Christian church in the 21st century, and we all affirm that, right? I mean, we're all willing to confess Jesus Christ is God. I hope so, because here's what I'd like us to do. I, I put up a part of the Athanasius, or excuse me, Athanasius actually had a creed himself, but this is the Nicene Creed. I picked a part of it, and I would like us to read it together as the Church of Christ, affirming the reality of Christ in a historic way by reciting a creed. The first paragraph talks about Jesus as God in really graphic terms. The second paragraph is Jesus as man. And if you would, read with me this creed to the glory of God and the praise of Jesus Christ. So let's read it. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And the church says, Amen. Isn't that what we say? And, and, and as I see the Nicene Creed, it's an interpretation of a text like the text we're going to deal with this morning. <clears throat> and as a matter of fact, as I was thinking about this text too, 11 years ago, in this month, on the 12th day of June, my mom died. And she was a member of College Park, and a number of you know her. And I'll never forget, obviously those kind of things have those lasting impact on you. And I remember in that service, Eric Anderson sang a song that has impacted my life. And I think it's kind of a good outflow of this. It's a song that goes, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can take all this 
world, but give me Jesus. And then it ends, and here's why it fits at a funeral. And when I come to die, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, church, give me Jesus. You can take all the world, but give me Jesus. And the church affirms that, and Paul's going to preach that to us, or I'm going to try to explain or at least enhance. I don't know that I can enhance what Paul said, but church, we have a treasure, and the treasure is Jesus. And regardless of where you are in life, give me Jesus. So the text we're going to look at is in Philippians 2. It begins in verse 5. And before we actually go to the text, let me read verse 5, because there's an imperative there that is going to accentuate the text. And then I want us to flow through the text. Here's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves. The context, if you were here last week, three of our young guys preached, and they did a really nice job. I was really encouraged with them. The first four verses in Philippians 2 are verses that talk about having a humility, like in verse 3, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In verse 4, don't look on your own interest, but on the interest of others. And then Paul goes to this statement. Here's an imperative. It's for the church in Philippi, but it's also for us. Have this mind among yourselves. Meaning, here's the way you function. Your mind is not just, and some have translated, have this attitude. I prefer the translation, not just an attitude that you kind of put on, like, okay, I'm going to pretend like I'm happy today. Have a mind that is the full reality of who you are. And, and here's the mind. You should have a mind like, <clears throat> and, and I, lo- I think the English, ESV does a nice job in the translation. So have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have the mind, and I, it, it could mean the mind of Christ And I'll probably say that sometimes during the text. And some have interpreted it. So watch Jesus and do like Jesus did. Jesus was humble. You be humble. Uh, You know, what would Jesus do? And I think that's kind of true. I I, I struggle with that just a little bit because Jesus was God and I'm not. Right? So so I'm not supposed to be God like he's God. But being humble, I, I I can see. Here's, I think, the bigger point. And that is have this mind in you like the ones who are in Christ, a mind like would be consistent with somebody who says, I'm in Christ and he's mine. My, my illustration for that, and it worked really well in the first service because my brother was here. Don and I were, we weren't born, but we grew up in Maryland. There is a state called Maryland. It's out on the East Coast. <laughs> and we, so we grew up liking the University of Maryland, which happens to be located in College Park, Maryland. So when I moved out here to Indiana, by the way, I'm a Hoosier and I like Indiana, so... I am, I am, I am. We came out here and I thought, so wow, they named that after Maryland. I wonder why, how they get this. And I tried to figure out College Park. I'm still not quite sure what it means, but I go to the church College Park. It has nothing to do with Maryland. But then I also knew this. So if you grew up in Maryland where we did, and you grew up in, if you grew up in Pasadena, Maryland, we're about a mile away from the Chesapeake Bay. When you grow up there, you like crabs. You like steamed crabs. And you love steam crabs. And even if you don't like steam crabs, you don't tell anybody you don't like steam crabs. Because <laughs> if you live in Maryland and you've got the mind of a Marylander, a Marylander says this, you guys in Indiana, you don't have crabs, you don't understand crabs, we understand crabs, we've got a Maryland mind. And I, I checked with Don to be sure that that was really, he said, absolutely, that's true. We're Marylanders. I'm not sure what to do with the Big Ten now that Maryland's, it doesn't work for me. For those of you that are into sports, somehow Maryland, anyway. The fact is, if you grew up where I grew up, you would have a mind that was kind of like my mind, and most, a lot of you didn't. And if you grow up and say, Jesus Christ 
is my Lord, then you're going to have a mind that's consistent with those. We're going to have the Christ mind, which is what Paul calls us to. And then Paul's going to go from there. So have this mind in you, you who are in Christ Jesus. And then here's my sermon. There's three points to my sermon. It's good homiletical form. And it's going to be three spotlights that are going to focus on who is this Jesus that our mind is supposed to be so inundated with. And, and I, I usually bring visual aids, and I did the first service. didn't work really well. The visual aids are going to be on the back wall, and you'll see these three spotlights in a way that I hope delights your heart and I hope draws you to Jesus. The first one is this. <clears throat> Spotlight number one is that Jesus is God. So it's like stating the obvious, right? Look at how Paul describes it in verse, <clears throat> in verse 6. And I tell you, this is incredible. He says, who... So have this mind in you, you that are in Christ Jesus, whose mind is full of Jesus. And here's who Jesus is. Who, though he was in the form of God, and I actually think it could have just been simply, he was in the form of God. And that word form, just about every word in this text has been debated in church history by commentators. The word form is the word morphe, which comes into English as, you know, something morphs into something else or metamorphosis. And, and really, the meaning in this text, <clears throat> and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to belabor all the technical side of it, I think the best way to translate it, and many think that, is the way the NIV does, actually, and it would be who was in very nature God, or who was <clears throat> in essence God, who shares the essence of God. As a matter of fact, in one short statement, it may be the most profound statement that you could give to a Jehovah's Witness that comes and knocks on your door and say, look at this verse. He was, in essence, and in nature, God. That's who Jesus is. He is God. So he is. We, College Park, we, we like babies. So those of you that are into baby production, <laughs> keep it up. Kathy and I are not into that at this juncture in life, but we're really glad for all of you, and we're into grandkids, and we're into all that kind of stuff. And I'm also sympathetic to those of you that have struggled in that arena. I've got two daughters, and both of them had seasons where they struggled with that, and I understand that that's, that's a tough time of life, so from a pastoral point of view. Some of you didn't struggle with it at all. And, and you know, so the, you have a baby, and the first question is always, so is it a boy or a girl? That seems to be the two options. <clears throat> I don't know of any others. <clears throat> Usually, I've never gone up to someone and said, so you had a baby, was it, was it human? <laughs> never, never asked them that, because I know this. <clears throat> Everyone that has a baby is going to produce of like essence, that what that baby is going to be, <laughs> like it or not, is going to be like you and like you in essence and in nature. And God <clears throat> and Jesus, or God who is Jesus, or Jesus who is God, is in nature fully God, nothing less than God, <clears throat> which, is, which is a really cool statement. And then he goes on with another really short clause that amplifies it. <clears throat> in verse 6, he said, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So you see, Jesus was fully God, and you think, all right, well, that's clear enough, but then let me just give you one other thing. There was never a day ever in the eternal reality of Jesus where he said, you know, I hope someday I can attain to be God. You know why he never had those days? Because he was God. It wasn't something that he said, maybe someday I can get to the point where I'm on par with God. <clears throat> there was never a day like that, because in his total existence, 
He was, in essence, God of very God, which I think is really cool. You know who did say, I hope to aspire to be God? If you look in the scriptures, you would see that Satan did that, right? I I, want to be like the most high, because I'm not. And that damns you to hell is what that does. You know what Adam and Eve did? You know why Eve, you know the lure that Satan gave to Eve was, I don't know that it was so much, that's such a cool piece of fruit, whatever it was, it was that on that day you'll be like God because you'll know good and evil. And the thought, the appeal, the lure of being like God was something that caused her and Adam both to fall into sin. The Tower of Babel, you know that Tower of Babel story? They're built, I don't think they were saying, God's up there somewhere, we're going to go get him and kidnap him. I think they said, we're God, and this is an, an edifice to the glory of us. And God devastated them in the Tower of Babel. And here's what sinful humanity has done for all of time, has aspired to be God. Jesus never aspired to be God because he was God and is God. So he was in very form, in essence, God. He didn't think being equal with God was something to be grasped. He was God. So that's spotlight number one. That's a pretty bright spotlight. That's a pretty good spotlight. That's one that ought to cause us to glory and to rejoice. And let me, I'm going to do some application at the end, but let me just give you one little kind of an application thing about this. And that is, if Jesus is really God and Jesus is really yours, if you've got a mind like one who is in Christ, then I'm going to suggest this. He def- God in Jesus defends his own. Some of you memorized Romans 8, and I think we're going to get that again. We did it as a group earlier on. I think we're going to do the second part sometime when I'm not up here. Uh, <laughs> And, and you remember parts of that that say, if he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will we not with him freely give us all things? He's our defender. He's our advocate. And I don't know about you, but the advocate I want is God. I want God to be my advocate. It doesn't get more advocatical than that, which isn't even a word. I just keep stretching them out. And not only that, but, and you can go on. So if he's God, Jesus is God, he knows the end from the beginning. So when you have that mind, like one who is in Christ, your Christ, your Lord is God. He knows the end from the beginning. He's got, he's got it figured out, right? He, because he's God. When you go through trials, he's God and able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ever ask or think. He is God, a very God, and the spotlight that comes to the people of God is that when we move into all of life, spotlight number one is Jesus is God. Spotlight number two is in verse seven, and it begins with, and some of you that have been around here a while, you know, it's this really profound word, but... And I like to emphasize, but, in the Bible. So then I like to sometimes say, but, so that you can hear it. And, and actually, I've been encouraged through the years where people have said, man, I've started to look at the buts in the Bible, and they just blow me away. And this will blow you away. Because the church has affirmed what the Bible says, what Paul taught and preached. Jesus is God. That's not the full picture of Jesus. There's a but, there's a contrast. It's a three-letter word in English. It's a four-letter word in Greek. And the intention is to get your focus on he's God, but then to get your focus on another direction, another facet of Jesus, and that is he is fully man. And by the way, if you think Jesus is only fully God and not fully man, you're a heretic. (laughs) 
Because that's what heretics thought. They thought that Jesus was the God reality that kind of put on a human suit. Did you ever see that in Men in Black, the guy, that, that alien that didn't? Nah, never mind. <clears throat> but that's not what Jesus did. He didn't just come down and say, let me find some, some, some human thing and I'll put it on. He became human. Watch how Paul describes it. In one of the most debated and profound and glorious reality or, or little, little words, he says, but made himself nothing. Now get the contrast. He's God of very God, light of very light. Remember how it was stated in the Nicene Creed? But he made himself nothing. Some of you have studied this before, and you know that the Greek verb there is, is um, the noun is kenosis, or at least that's how we've anglicized it. Kanao is the verb. And, 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 and so we're trying to figure out, so what did he empty? What was, did he become less than God? Did he say, all right, if I'm going to become a man, I've got to take this God and this part, and, and so I'm kind of like a not real God. And, and that's heresy as well. He was fully God in all the reality of who God is, and he didn't take anything away from himself. I think here's the way the text describes it. He brought something to himself. He brought humanity, humanness to himself, and the way it's described in the text, this is really, really easy. There's three I-N-G words, and you'll see them in there. They're ing words. You know, ing, I-N-G, they're, they're called participles in Greek, but they're describer words. Here's three ings, and look at them, and we'll, we'll look at them kind of quickly. The first one is this. When it says he made himself nothing, it's by taking the form of a servant. Which, by the way, that word form is the same word that says he was in very form God, he was in very essence God, and he was in very essence human. Not just human, but servant human, slave human. Same word Paul uses for himself in the first verse of the epistle. So, God of very God comes down, and he empties himself, or he makes himself nothing, and he takes on, and he becomes, in essence, a servant. Now, if I'm God, <laughs> and I bet if you were God too, and I was to say, I'm going to come down to my creatures on earth, and I want, to, I want to make a statement, I think I would have done this. I would have said, all right, let's find the biggest, strongest, best angels we got, and I want them in the gym, the celestial gym, you know, the heaven gym, for like a month, month and a half, two months, I want you guys to look like angels. And angels aren't little floaty things. They're like army people. And we're going down. We're going down. They're going down because we're going down. And we're going to go maybe to Jerusalem. I think maybe we'll spend some time with Caesar over in Rome. And he thinks he's king. He's not. I'm king. And I'm going to go down. And I'm, I'm going to just, it's going to be a show of force. And that show of force is going to compel people. That's the way I would have planned. Would you devise it that way? Here's the way he devised it. He, the God, a very God, he came down and emptied himself and took on human flesh and he took it on in the form of a servant. Come on. Wow. And then look at the next ING word. Taking the form of a servant, being, that's a good word, being born or becoming in the likeness of men and, and I, I like the translation of born, and I've thought about born. We've all been born. You have. I have. And so we talked about babies and that kind of stuff. And so I, uh, I have trouble remembering those early days of my own kids, but with grandkids, the beauty of it is you kind of do it again, and you think, ah. And, you know, here's the thing I found about babies, and that is there's two basic functions babies do really well, and they're supposed to do it. They eat, 
And I realize it's a mixed crowd, but I think we can handle it. They excrete. They eat and excrete. I know. I went over the edge. (laughs) And you know how you know that is because when you get around a dinner table, and I've done that with my kids who had their little kids, and you know what our topic of conversation is? I mean, some of you have been there. Talk about, oh, yeah, the baby's eating well, not eating that well. And then the description and the discussion about the content of diapers is frankly disgusting. And yet, frankly, it's what gets talked about. And then at the end, you say, I can't believe we mature adults talked about that kind of stuff for the whole of our lasagna dinner. (laughs) But here's the point. Jesus made himself nothing took on the form of a servant. And again, if I'd been him, I would have said, I'm, you know what, I'm coming down there. Maybe I won't come as a king type thing, but at least I'm coming as an adult. I'm not doing this baby stuff. I, I don't know if that blows your mind or not, but it's supposed to blow your mind that he came down as a little helpless infant, the God of gods who created the universe. So he came. And then there's one more ING, and it's in verse 8. And if it weren't for verse 8, then we ought to shut this building down and get out of here. <clears throat> I, I practiced this sermon a number of times, as I want to do. I came to this part of the text, and it was just like, man, it just kind of blew me away. Again, because I've known it, I've memorized it. It says, and being found in human form, that's kind of redundant to the previous clause. He humbled himself. And I think the use of that word is sort of to pound us in the face when we say we don't want to be humble, we don't want to consider others better than themselves, but you know what, Jesus humbled himself. It's almost like I can can maybe live with that. By becoming obedient to the point of death, and I wish we had time to unpack the obedient part to the point of death. So I'm thinking, all right, the God of very God, who is the, by definition, life, who breathed life into his creation, now he's going he's gonna to come and, he, and he's going to take on human or servant form, and he's going to be born, and now he's going to humble himself, and his humility, his humiliation is going to come even to the point where he's going to die. Paul could have ended it there, but it's as though he puts a little slash and says... To the point of death, even death on a cross. And for us, we've gotten so used to cross, we put it around our necks, or we tattoo it someplace. And I'm okay with having it around your neck. I don't particularly want a tattoo, but if you do, and you're, you can deal with the tattoo issues. We, We've, we've sanitized the cross. If you were a first century reader and you heard that he stooped to the point of death, you'd say, all right, that's, 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 boy, he really stooped. And then if it was even death on the cross, here's what you would say. If you were a Jew, you'd say, I don't buy that. It's a stumbling block. If you're a Gentile, you're going to say, that's like the most absurd thing I ever heard. There's no Messiah that ends up on crosses. Messiahs don't end up on crosses. That isn't what happens. This is ludicrous. This is crazy. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I, I've had this book for a while. It's got like the gaudiest looking, I don't know what color that is, but it almost fits. It's called Crucifixion. It's by a German theologian, Martin Hengel. And, and his discipline and area of expertise is theology. And he, he studied crucifixions. And the Romans weren't the only ones that crucified. Crucifixion was, 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 was practiced in other parts of the ancient Near East and the Mediterranean world. And, and he, it's almost the kind of book I'm not sure you really want to read. 
because it's, it, it has a level of disgust to it. It's almost like, I don't know that I need to know that level of detail. He describes some of the crucifixion techniques that were used in various different aspects in various different parts of the world. And the Romans became like the expert crucifiers. And, and then he describes some of the techniques that are just, it's, it, it, the intent of crucifixion was to be as absurdly, sadistically cruel as possible. I think mean, that was the intent. And at, at the end of the book, he has a summary. I'm going to read a little bit of this. because I think it helps with this text. He says, the chief reason for crucifixion was its alleged supreme efficacy as a deterrent. Don't you like big words? <laughs> it was an effective deterrent, meaning if you thought you want to be a rebel against the Roman Empire, look at that cross, and that's where all rebels and treasonous people end up. And you would say, I don't ever want that to happen to me. And then he goes on, he said, this one really did pound me. Crucifixion satisfied the primitive lust for revenge and the sadistic cruelty of individual rulers and of the masses. That crucifixion was not only intended to be a deterrent, so it is so abhorrent, the last thing ever on planet Earth I would want to experience is crucifixion. But it also ignited the worst part of humanity where one would treat another human with such disgrace and such, the kind of thing you wouldn't want to do to an animal, you wouldn't even want to do it to a plant, and yet you'll do it to a human. And their techniques of crucifixion execution, I mean, they weren't just horrible. They make you want to vomit. (laughs) It's usually associated with other forms of torture. Like when we read the passion narrative of Jesus, he was flogged, you know. And some of you have seen movies that kind of bring it even a little bit more to life. He was, he was beaten almost to death, and then he was crucified on top of that. And that was pretty much the norm, or at least that would, the records show that that was not unusual. And the intent was, how can we live out the worst deviations you can possibly imagine? At relatively small expense and to public effect, the criminal would be tortured to death for days. The goal was keep them alive to keep torturing them. Crucifixion was the uttermost humiliation in the ancient Near East. By the public display of a naked victim, you know, we've, we have sanitized our crosses, and I'm, I'm glad we've got this cross here. I have nothing against it. It doesn't fully portray. A first century person coming in would say, well, so what's that? Um, and we know it draws our attention to Jesus and the atoning work of Christ, and I think all that is good. But, but even, even in some of our paintings that we like, Jesus looks pretty good, and he has a loincloth on. The fact is Jesus had no loincloth on. The point of crucifixion was to humiliate and embarrass to the max, and people would walk by, and they would mock. If they even had, I don't even know how you could have the intestines to walk by something like that. It represented ultimate humiliation. I read this text, and it hit me this week. And I know, I know theology well enough to know that the real suffering of Christ on the cross wasn't as bad as crucifixion was. It was that he bore the sins of the world. He bore your sin and my sin. And that we have hope and eternal life because the God reality in Jesus became man and bore our sins and died on the cross. But don't miss what I think Paul is mainly emphasizing here, and that is that our Jesus was God and he was man And he engaged 
in our humanness at its worst. That just kind of blew me away again. So I thought, if I'm going to be one that has the mind of Christ, (laughs) and actually, I think the better way to say it, and I've said that many, if I have the mind like those that are in Christ, if I'm in Christ and I'm in the sphere of Christ and the reality of Christ is my life, I see him as the exalted Lord God. I also see him as a man who was humble and who lived among us and experienced the worst of us so that when I pray to Jesus, I pray Jesus, God, you can do anything. But then I also pray, Jesus, you're a, you understand suffering. I don't, I, don't, I don't say, Jesus, you've got no idea what I'm going through. My pain is, is all. And you know what? Your pain is very likely awful. I'm sure it is. But don't think that Jesus hasn't been there. <laughs> He's fully God. He's fully man. That's not the end of the story. (laughs) But we got to let that part at least come into our minds and fill our minds so that we are people. The church is made up of people whose God is Jesus Christ, who is nothing less than God of very God, but he also is nothing less than man of very man. Sinless, but human. Then we come to verse 9. I love 9, 10, and 11. (laughs) Therefore, another good connecting word. doesn't resound as well as but, but still, it's there. Therefore, God, this is spotlight number three. He's man, or excuse me, he's God, he's man. Spotlight number three, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So he's not only God and man, he's Lord. That's who Jesus is. He's highly exalted. So I've also used this, this idea. He was high, he was lowest, and now he's highest, which doesn't mean he's more God than he was before. It means the proclamation of the glory of God is higher and more visible and more obvious than ever before. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. And he's been given a name that's above every name. And I don't think that those that think there's some magic in the name Jesus, I, I don't... I don't think the name Jesus, the point of Jesus is who Jesus is, right? It's the person of Jesus. And it's Jesus in that it brings you to that person, that person who's God and man, and he's also Lord, and he's exalted to the highest of heights. As a matter of fact, this Sunday in church liturgy, so we we quoted together the Nicene Creed, good church liturgy stuff. (laughs) It's Ascension Sunday. And in my tradition, I didn't grow up with that kind of stuff, and probably most of you didn't either. But if you were to time it out from Easter, which we celebrated whenever we celebrated it, and you were to time it out, that this would be potentially at least the, around the time when Jesus was risen from the dead. And we like that on Easter, right? But then later, a few weeks later, he ascends to heaven. And you could look at it like he's off on vacation. <laughs> it's a well-deserved vacation because he died the death. And now he gets to go have vacation, and he's not having vacation in that sense. He sits enthroned as the Lord and the King of all of creation. That's the point. Yeah, and the church says amen and amen. Yeah, that's what we ought to say. So that, verse 10, and so that is another really cool little word that, that, that expresses purpose and result. So, so there's, there's a reason for this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. 
which is another way of saying, wherever knees are, get them bowing. <laughs> and you know, when I read that, I tend to read it kind of eschatologically. The day's going to come when Christ will return with his angels, and he's going to crush his foes. I think that's true, but, but I tell you, I, I'm not sure that was Paul's main thought here. Paul's main thought would be, here's a church of people in Philippi, and there's a church of people in Indianapolis at College Park, and their Lord is Jesus. He's, he's well, excuse me, it's Christ. He's fully God. Jesus, he's fully man, and he's also the Lord. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, and those three spotlights come together, so this church has this kind of a mind, and when we live out the reality of our life in this world, we see God, man, Lord, and we live in the reality of that kind of a life, (laughs) and so we're bowing our knees when we come in every Sunday morning. There ought to be at least the symbolic reality, shouldn't there? And maybe it ought to be even more than symbolic where we say, Jesus Christ, you're God, your man and your Lord, and I submit to you because that's when I find my greatest delight in life is when I am what you created and redeemed me to be, and that is a servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> so when you read that bowing, don't just see all those bad people bowing. Look at yourself and say, I need to be bowing my knee. And then it says, and every tongue will confess. Tongues will be confessing, and our tongue should confess today what eventually every tongue will confess. And I don't think it's accidental that he has three parts to this name. Jesus Christ is Lord. So so if you believe just, I I like the God part of Jesus, and that's all you like, you're a heretic. If you like the man part of Jesus, and that's all you like, you're a heretic. If you like the Lord part, then you're a legalist heretic. (laughs) But I tell you what, if you don't have all those together in your mind such that you live life with the God, man, Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord, then you haven't come to grips with who Jesus is. You haven't understood the delight and the glory of him because he's high, lowest, highest. Let me conclude with a couple takeaways. So what do you do with a text like that? What do you do? Man, that text is so in my heart. Let me give you a couple of suggestions. First one is this. This is one that really hit me. And that is that the church of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, should be those people who savor and enjoy Jesus for who he is. <laughs> and I even know when I put that down, I thought, that, that's just hard for us in the West, because in my mind, I'm a spreadsheet kind of guy. Everything I do needs to have a result. You know, I need to have, so, so does it affect my, my money? Does it affect my health? Is what I'm going to do have some benefit for me in terms of some tangible material thing? Because we tend to think like that. Yeah, I like Jesus. <laughs> That's right. He gives me health, wealth, prosperity. How about I like Jesus because he's Jesus. (laughs) I glory in him. I delight in him. A couple years ago, Kathy and I had the really cool privilege to go over to the British Isles, and we went up to Scotland, and we had this person that told us, you need to go to the Isle of Skye. Do you know where the Isle of Skye is in Scotland? And we were like, Isle of Skye, wait a minute. If I go to London, I can tell people I went to London. They'll say, ooh. If I go to Oxford, I went to Oxford 
They'd say, ooh, if I say I went to the Isle of Skye, they'd say, what? 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 You go to the Isle of Skye, and we went, we drove on the wrong side of the road, all that kind of stuff. We went up, there's a bridge that takes you to this little island, and there's a bunch of sheep, and there's a few houses, and it has, when it's, when it's clear, which isn't that often, it has like a rainbow, or rainbows every day, and several of them, and it has this incredible glory that makes you step back. And when we, when we got done and we were driving off the Isle of Skye, we wanted to explain our experience. And the experience was like, I'm not quite sure how to explain it. It was, it was glorious. And it was glorious just because it was. And can I encourage you with this church? I mean, as you list all the things that you need to do, all your New Year's resolutions that are gone and maybe do a mid-year one, why don't you think that maybe, maybe, Part of what the church ought to do is savor and glory and delight and enjoy Jesus for who he is. You know, you know what that would look like? It would look like meditation. Man, who's got time for meditation? The reason I meditated on this text is because I was preaching it this Sunday. I even thought about that. And I said, God, is that the really reason that I meditated on this? Is that the... And I came away hoping that I'm going to have a little bit more of an aptitude. to do... Actually, this... yesterday I was cutting the grass and I happened to notice that some roses had bloomed sometime. I, I'm not even sure when. And so I'm, I'm pulling my lawnmower saying, i got to get this grass cut so people will see my grass cut. Yeah, that's a nice rose. Have you ever heard of stopping and smelling the roses? I didn't. <laughs> Maybe this afternoon. Have you ever stopped and smelled Jesus and let him inundate you? So if you want the mind that is like those that are Christ, they smell Jesus. Let me give you one other takeaway. There was a hymn writer, I want to mention this. He said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, when I read this text, I also think that I am and I live amongst a group of people who are functional heretics. Join the crowd. And let me give you an example of that. Matter of fact, I thought of that while I was cutting the grass yesterday, so I added that point in here. <laughs> so you have trials in life. You ever had trials in life? We prayed for people in our church that have trials. There's a four-year-old girl, and it's one of those, you almost don't even want to, and she's fighting for her life, and her grandparents and parents go to church here. How do you deal with that? Well, let me give you a suggestion. When, when we pray, we ought to pray, and Mark did well, God, Jesus, you're God. You can heal instantaneously. That's not just a first century thing. Jesus heals today. If he didn't heal, you wouldn't be here because we would have died of an infection or something earlier, you know, in life. So you got to pray, God, but, but that can't be the only prayer. If that's the only prayer, if all you see Jesus is, is God, you're a heretic because he's more than God. He's also man. And so in that room, hospital room, or in your own life, as you're praying about the trials of life, don't think Jesus can't relate. Because the author of Hebrews would argue vehemently against that, right? He's experienced the stuff of life, even to the point of execution in the most humiliating way on the cross. Jesus, as a man, understands your trials. But don't end there. Because if all you have is Jesus, the one, hey, he's my good buddy, he understands. I don't know that you can do anything about it. He under- then you're a heretic because you don't believe Jesus is God. If you say he's fully God, he's fully man, he can do whatever, he can do exceeding abundantly above all I ever ask or think, and he can also, he can relate to me. But th- you also have to move to the third part, that third spotlight, don't you? And Jesus is Lord. 
That's, that's my hardest one. It's like, Jesus, I want you, Lord, of my life, not me. And I know, I know the best things for that little four-year-old girl. I know, I know it. But the challenge is to have the mind that knows what God knows and that somehow that verse in Romans 8 that says the sovereign king God is working all things together for good to those that love him. And I'm like, God, I think I would have done it differently and I guarantee you that I would have done it worse than you're doing it. So I bow my knee and I say, I'm glad you're Lord. You're God, man, Lord. That's the way the people of God see and live and encourage and admonish one another. Jesus Christ is Lord. Or as you go through temptations in life. (laughs) Anybody out there ever been tempted maybe once, twice? Every day, all the time. And you know what? We need to have the mind of those that are in Christ Jesus that says God is a holy God. Jesus is God. He's not really all that satisfied with our weak attempts at holiness. He calls us to be holy because he's God. You want to have a relationship with him? Be holy. But then he's also man, right? And you're reading in Hebrews and you'll find out that he was, I don't understand this verse. He's tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Really? And you know the answer is, really? So as you're walking through those temptations in life, and you say, Jesus, you don't have any idea. And Jesus is going to say, I got every idea. Not only do I have every idea about that temptation, but I also have every idea about doing it without sin because then you come, and, and we sh- shouldn't we do this every Sunday that we come in with the redeemed? And again, if we were a little more liturgical, we would do it a little more regularly. We, we would come in and say, I confess my sins to you. Because you're Lord. And because I'm only going to be satisfied in life when I know you as God and man and Lord. And I got to believe this, that we would have a church of people, if we had that mind like those that were in Christ Jesus, we would reverberate with the glory of Jesus. We would have people overcoming temptation. We would have people in trials that would just be shining the glory of Jesus. And I know that happens in our church. And I would say, let's keep doing it and let's do more of that. And when I get done with this text, if I put it in context, here's the word that hits me too, and that's the word of verse 4. Let each look not on his own interest, but also on the interest of others, that the church of Jesus Christ, who knows Jesus and loves Jesus and glorifies Jesus, are going to be a group of humble people. So you out there that are struggling in your marriages, and I know you're out there. Why don't you get this mind that says, here's the mind of those that are in Christ Jesus. He's God, he's man, he's Lord. And I'm going to humble myself before my wife or my husband. And I'm going to live out the reality of a mind that's been inundated by the reality of who Jesus is. Or if you're a young person or if you're single, you can put yourself in whatever your state of life is. And the immediate context here, I think, argues for... I can't believe that church because the way they treat each other, thinking of the other better than themselves, even in the most intimate of their relationships, that blows my mind. There must be something more to that. And you know what there is? Because Jesus is God, he's man, and he's Lord. Well, here's how I want to close the sermon. I want to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to sing a contemporary but really cool hymn. And I'm going to encourage you with this, Body of Christ. 
And that is, don't be thinking about what's going to happen after this. Just spend at least that time while you sing this hymn and say, I want a glory in Jesus. Just fill me with the glory of Jesus. And let's rip the roof off. Or maybe you're one of those that don't rip roofs off. That's all right. But let's, with all of our being and our mind, let's glorify God in our song in response to this text. And you may be here this morning, you say, wow, all that stuff, that's interesting about Jesus, but I don't know him. I'm going to stand right here, and as we sing, I, I invite you to come. Not that I've got anything magic, but I can tell you the words of life. You can come to Christ. Afterward, we'll have people up here that would be willing to minister you, to you as well. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so overwhelmed with this text And so delighted in you at this particular moment to be with the saints, my church, the people I worship with. We want to worship you in all the reality of who you are, Jesus. And Lord, may it affect our lives. May we go out of here kind of like Moses with a little bit of a beam in our face that says we've been with God and the people of God and it affects our lives. And Lord, may we be those who have this mind and it's the mind of those that are in reality in relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.